Okay, so we're starting a new book. Actually, I'm just going to do a summer study, and then we're going to pick up, I believe, in Luke in the fall, but during the summer, we are going to be doing the book of James. That's where we're going, the book of James. So turn with me to the book of James. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, because we're going to be studying the Word of God right now. You can hear it and see it. You can rise for the reading of God's Word. The book of James. We just finished the book of Acts. We'll be going through the book of James, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, this summer. The book of James. Chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we read those verses and I think I can speak for many in this room, Lord, that we want to be what this describes. Perfect. Not sinless, but a a, a testimony that is complete and lacking nothing. And Father, as we go through uh, this book this summer, I just pray that you would, you'd lead us there, Lord, to the place, Lord, where we're letting, as it says in verse 4, patience have its perfect work in our lives. Please lead us through your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So these verses have a special, I have a special fondness for them because the Lord used these verses to utterly transform the life of my wife, Stephanie, early on in our marriage. I gave my life to to God when I was uh, 24, just a few months before I was, uh, Stephanie and I were married. I was brand new to the faith at the time. I just sort of of assumed that uh, she had the same faith that I had embraced, same faith in Christ. She had gone to, she went to church each week. She sang in a church ensemble. She was baptized when she was a, a child. She grew up in church. She called herself a Christian. That was good enough, right? But it wasn't until soon after we were married and I was really beginning to just go full on for Jesus that I realized that what I had in my relationship with Jesus 
was very different than what Stephanie had. And by the way, this is uh, her testimony, her testimony as well. Thank you, servant. kind of emotional giving away my son to the Lord. <laughs> but I began to, to realize that what I had and, 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 and the path I was on was very different from hers. I would try to have a devotion time with her, a time where she and I read the Bible together, and she really had no interest at all in that. She really had no interest... In pursuing God or seeking God, she had no interest in his word. This is the same testimony she will give you today. She's read this, these notes, don't want to misrepresent her. If I brought up something in the Bible that I thought was exciting, she'd say something like, well, I'm glad you're excited about that, but I've heard it all before. Her faith was more of a cultural faith growing up in the Bible belt than a, a vibrant, real faith. I remember one night sitting on my bed and a fear came over me because I now realized that the woman I was married to, my wife, were supposed to be one flesh. And she was living in a, a very different world. And there was this sense of loss and fear just of the future of, wow, I, I'm unequally yoked. But then something happened to me. It was for the first time in my life I responded to a trial by faith. The book of James is all about trials. Kind of pure joy when you're in trials. And I responded, though, by faith. And I just gave the whole thing over to God. I, I, I just said, God, you're, you are just going to have to do something about this because I can't change your, uh, uh, your heart, uh, rather her heart, only you can. And, and even as a brand new uh, person walking with the Lord, I, I, I got it. There's no co me convincing. The Lord had to do it. And I gave Stephanie to the Lord. Well, some time went by. I began prodding her uh, to go to a woman's Bible study. And I, I don't think she was incredibly keen on the idea, but after a while she signed up for one. They were studying uh, through the book of James. And I think two or three weeks into uh, one of the studies, one night I remember I was lying or sitting on the living room floor. She came bursting through the door and she shouted out looking at me, do you know that James chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and that patience would have its perfect work in your life and that it would, you may become perfect, complete Lacking nothing? Do you know that it says this? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I guess. <laughs> and it was just one of the most joyous times of glorious times of my life. Because I knew what had happened. 
the Lord had gotten a hold of her life. He had gotten a hold of it. And she's never looked back. So these verses, they have a, I have a great fondness for, for these verses. And this book, the book of James, begins James, verse 1, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a bondservant? Actually, I have a definition. Can we get that on the screen? This definition? It's not a term we use very much. A bondservant is a person who, out of love for his or her master, freely chooses to become the master's slave for life. That's what a, a bondservant is. Now, in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, it spells out precisely what a bondservant is. There was actually a procedure. If someone wanted to become a bondservant, they wanted to make a life commitment to their master. This is actually written out in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy. According to Old Testament law, a Hebrew slave was only... Uh, could only, you could only keep them as a slave for six years. In the seventh year, you had to let them go. Completely free, no conditions. That was what the, the slavery devi- uh, d- uh, described in the Old Testament with, with Jewish slaves. However, if a slave loved his master and didn't want to leave him, the law provided a way for him or her to make a life commitment to their master. And Deuteronomy 15 describes a process by which the slave made this life commitment. There was actually a ceremony that took place. The master would take the slave to a door. I believe it was the front door. And the master would would drive with a a hammer an awl, A-W-L, awl, like an earring or stud right through the slave's ear, and it just represented that, that, that slave's life commitment uh, to the master. And so a bondservant, a man or woman who out of love for their master freely chose to become the master's slave for life. In the New Testament, believers in Jesus take on that name to describe uh, themselves, to describe uh, their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in James chapter 1, verse 1, J- uh, James describes himself, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a bondservant. And I really like the term bondservant because it really does describe what has happened in the life of a man or woman who gives their life to Jesus. Um, the term bondservant, it expresses at least three things about the relationship between a believer and Jesus Christ, at least three things, quickly. One, it expresses the absolute surrender on the part of the believer, the absolute surrender on their part, their willingness to give up all their rights. 
Number two, it expresses the character of the master, right? In the Old Testament, why would a slave love their master? Why would they be willing to uh, give up all their rights for the rest of their life, uh, for their life to a certain person? Why? Because, one, their master was faithful. Their master uh, was just and fair. Their master was good because the master loved them. Hey, Paul, can you come up? This thing is slipping off my... <laughs> I mean, it's starting to dangle here. And such is the case with Jesus. And uh, uh, when a believer has put their, uh, their trust uh, in Jesus. Time out. Thank you. So... This term bondservant, it, it describes the relationship between a, a, a believer and Jesus. And so the third thing that the term bondservant expresses is, is that uh, becoming a believer in Christ is a choice. It's a choice. It is an act of free will. And that neither God nor anyone else forces you to do it. It's completely, it's your choice. The master in the Old Testament uh, didn't force their, their, their slaves to do it. It says the slaves in Deuteronomy 15, you can read it, out of love for their masters became bondservants. And so uh, God did a very dangerous thing when he gave us a free will, right? A choice. He didn't make us into love robots where, you know, God... Hey, I'm in just in the mood today. God's talking. I just want to be loved today. Let me press this button on the back of this, this man. You know, boop. Peace alive. You know, boop. I love you, God. Boop. Hallelujah. You know, no, he didn't do any of that. He gave us a free will, and we can freely choose to reject a life with him or accept it. So, uh, the term bondservant. James, a bondservant, verse 1, of Jesus Christ. It had not always been so. It had not always been so. James had not always been a bondservant. Who was James? He was the brother of Jesus Christ. You could say half-brother. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He did not have a natural father. So the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He's described that way in the Bible. And it says that Jesus' brothers actually has a lot to say in the New Testament, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about what Jesus' brothers thought of him. Number one, it says that his brothers didn't believe in him. Quite simply, in John chapter 7, verse 5, couldn't be any simpler than this, for even his brothers did not believe in him. It also says, in Mark 6, 4, it says, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and by his own family. He's speaking of himself there. That he, his family didn't believe in him, neither did they honor him. So not only did his brothers not believe in him, though, the Bible says that after a while they thought that Jesus had lost his mind. 
Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. So that's five or no, that's a, quite a bit to the left in the New Testament. It's the uh, second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Everyone there? Verse 20 says this, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So Jesus at this point, so many people are coming to him that he doesn't doesn't even have, he can't even eat. He can't even take time to eat is what it's saying. Verse 21, but when his own people, in the Greek, the term there means his, his family really is what it's talking about, or those who are in his light. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, lest there be any questions who these people are that are trying to lay hold of him, go to verse 31. It specifies, then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside they sent to him calling him they were again they were trying to pull him out they thought he had lost his mind now it's not hard to imagine why they thought that Jesus lost his mind I mean keep in mind that Jesus, there were no miracles, according to John chapter 2, until his public ministry. So the first 30 years of his life, you know, I'm sure he was an exceptionally good brother. (laughs) Yeah, talk about being in a family. Why can't you be like, you know, Jimmy? I mean, why can't you be like Jesus? You know, they're probably subject to that sort of deal. But the, the supernatural or supernatural sort of acts, obviously supernatural, his whole life was about the supernatural, but miracles, they hadn't seen that. All of a sudden he turns 30 years old, and what's happening? He's casting out demons, and demons are talking back to him. Go back there in, in Mark chapter 3, just stay there, and, and, and go back to, um, to verse 21, or rather to, uh, to verse 11. To verse 11 of Mark chapter 3. It says, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Now, can you imagine if Jesus was your brother? My brother is talking to demons, and demons are talking back to him. <laughs> I mean, kind of freaky thing, right? Not only that... Jesus is saying really crazy things like in the chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, he says that he's Lord of the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the seventh day, the day of rest, the most holy day. Can you imagine all of a sudden your brother is declaring in public that he's Lord of the Sabbath? Let's read it. Verse 27 uh, uh, verse 27 of, of Mark chapter 2. Actually, if you go to uh, 
if you go to verse 24, it says there that the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why do they do, or your disciples do, what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Verse 27, it says, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Imagine your brother saying that. Not only that, he turns 30. What does he start doing? He may have been doing some of this before, but he starts hanging out with thieves, prostitutes, and the the, the worst elements um, of the society. Verse 13, same chapter, chapter 2 of Mark. It says, And then he went out by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, who was a tax collector, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. He said to him, Follow me. And so he, he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many, and they followed him. And the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners and said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Now, there is uh, obviously tax collectors today, some of us not, may not like them very much, although we do need to, we should like them, actually. We should pray for them and love them and honor them. But then a tax collector was synonymous with thief because a tax collector was given free reign to collect as much as he could from anyone and they would just give Rome what was owed to Rome and keep everything else for themselves and they all lived in palaces. So people hated them. Worse than that, they were Jewish people. So the Jewish people considered them traitors to Rome. So They were detested by the people, and in actuality, they were really wicked. They were thieves. So his family is now seeing him consort consort with the, the child molesters, really, of that day. The people, the, the, that element of society that was just, uh, you know, really um, uh, terrible. Uh, and, and then, you know, finally, uh, it says in verse 20, we read it before of chapter th- uh, 3, that the multitude came together again. So there's a multitude uh, following uh, him here. And, and, and by this time, he is a family embarrassment. Jesus is a family embarrassment by this time, and they try to go save him from his, himself. And that's why it says in verse 21, and, they, and his own people, his family, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And uh, so they're actively trying to, not only do they think he's out of his mind, they're actively trying to pull him out of ministry. <laughs> they're actively trying to pull him out. And then, just to finish this off, just to top this off, there's Matthew 10.36. Do we have Matthew 10.36? Maybe? Yes? A man's enemies, this is Jesus speaking, will be those of his own household. Many think Jesus is just talking about his own experience with his family. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. And so James 
can turn back to James. The brother of Jesus. He grew up not believing in Jesus, actively opposing Jesus, trying to pull him away from what he was doing, thinking that Jesus was out of his mind, embarrassed by Jesus, by his behavior, becoming an enemy of Jesus. Now, this should be an, a huge encouragement to some of you in this room. And why do I say that? Because you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've surrendered to Him. You've told your family about what you've done. They're watching. Number one, they don't believe anything you're telling them. Number two, they are actively opposed to what God is doing in your life. They're trying to even pull you away from it. Number three, they think you and your church are crazy. You're out of your mind. Be encouraged. The person writing this letter, the book of James, he thought the same thing. Look what happened to him. Look how the letter begins. James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, God loves to save those who you love. He loves to do it. That's why Paul said to the jailer in, in, in Philippians, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You and your household. God loves to save those that you care for. Now, there, I'm convinced there's some people in this room, a handful maybe, just a handful, but you haven't really made up your mind whether you believe, whether you should, you know, give in to sort of actively opposing what God is doing in your life, and you haven't made up your mind that maybe these people are kind of wacky. And you're living as an enemy of the Lord. Not that you're going around with placards saying, you know, uh, atheists for America or whatever, but by your behavior, you are denying the Lord and the life that the Lord has specifically uh, put before you in His Word as a blessing for you. You're living as an enemy. Be encouraged. Because there's a, there, there's, a, there's a man here who's written this letter introducing himself as a bondservant and he was just where you are. God loves you and he wants to get a hold of you too. So all of this does be beg the question, right? What question does this beg? What happened to James? How does he go from not believing in his brother, opposing him, thinking he's out of his mind, living as an enemy, to a bondservant, to a believer, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer appears to uh, be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Please now turn there. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. A, a, a few... A, a, about 100 pages to your left or something like that? 40 pages to your left. Around 40 pages to your left. And, and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is this wonderful, wonderful declaration by Paul of what Christians believe. 
Many of the Christian creeds are, are adopted from these verses right there. Verse uh, 3 of chapter 15, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. For I delivered uh, to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, verse 5, and that He was seen by Cephas, meaning Peter, and, that, and then by the twelve, meaning the twelve apostles. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James. After that, he was seen by James. He appeared to James. And most believe that it was not up until this point that James became a believer. Now, can you imagine being James? The resurrected Christ appears to him. The resurrected Christ, Jesus, his brother, appearing to him in a resurrected body. Jesus, I'm sorry for that time I stole your slingshot. I'm sorry I hid the marbles. I'm sorry I swiped your uh, matzo ball that one time. I'm sorry I broke that vase and blamed it on you. And, 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 you know, Jesus, remember in the book of Acts, chapter 9, when Jesus met Paul, when Paul was right in the middle of living as an enemy of Jesus, Paul was going from city to city, arresting followers of Jesus, uh, dragging them out of their house, imprisoning them, putting them to death. Jesus appears to them. How much did Jesus say about Paul's past? What do we learn? Nothing. Goose eggs. Not a word. I have no doubt it was the same thing with James. James, I don't want to talk with you about your past. That's all been paid for. On the cross. Everything you've ever done. Every careless word, every indiscretion paid for on the cross. I, I, I want to talk about your future, your future. You know that whole spectacle, James, of the cross where the whole city was stirred and they came and saw me crucified and, and, and I'm sure that was an incredible embarrassment to you and the family. But I did it for you, James, brother, James, I did it for you. James, you're a sinner. You have sinned against God. You, 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 the penalty for sin is death. James, I am the Messiah, just as I said I was. I am the Messiah. I came into this world to die for that sin. Your sin, James. For your sin. I forgive you. All is forgiven. Now come. 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 Believe. Receive. Open up your heart to me, brother. Please open up your heart to me. It has been so closed off. Please. I, I stand at the door of your heart. I'm knocking. Open it up, James. James, if you do that, you will live forever with me. 
Imagine being James at that point. The gravity of his sin, of his rebellion against God, just overcoming him. He had not believed in Jesus. He had opposed him. He thought he was out of his mind. He lived as an enemy of Jesus. And now he's staring reality right in the face. He had spent a a life rejecting the Messiah, the hope of Israel, the Lion of Judah, God's anointed one, uh, rejecting him. But he's being told by the Messiah that all is forgiven. So what does he do? He surrenders. He lets go. He becomes a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And what happens to James? We'll be continuing that next time. But he's he's transformed from being an enemy to eventually becoming a pillar of the church who writes one of the most wonderful challenging books of the Bible. Next time we're going to pick up in verse 2 or continue on in verse 2, which is uh, truly verse 2 of chapter 1 of James, one of the strangest beginnings to a letter in the history of beginnings to a a letter. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Other translations say count it all joy pure joy. Other translations count it sheer joy. Another translation, consider it a happy privilege to fall into all kinds of trials. Another translation says, consider yourself fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. Consider yourself fortunate when all trials come your way? What kind of beginning to a letter is that? How about, you know, brethren, I I, I, I feel terrible about these things you're going through. None of that. You know what's incredible is that the people he's writing to, the Jewish people scattered all over the world, were in the midst of a season of terrible persecution at the time when a Jewish person put their faith in Christ. Many times they were kicked out of the synagogue, their place of worship. They were kicked out of their family. Their families had funerals for them. They were isolated. They're... Their, their, Uh, businesses were uh, destroyed. And and what does James say? Count it pure joy, all joy, sheer joy when you fall into these trials, brethren. And you know what's incredible is that for hundreds, now 2,000 years, this verse, verse 2, has been as encouraging to Christians in the time of trial as any verses in the Bible. written by a man who was not insensitive to trials and sufferings, but knew about them so deeply. A man, James, who loved so much because he had been forgiven so much. He knows what he's talking about. And oh man, do I want to learn from a person like that. So we'll pick up, uh, we'll continue on in verse 2 uh, next time. When the worship team come up, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we, we do want to get to the place in our lives where we count it all joy when we fall into various trials. We want to come to the place in our life, Lord, that We let patience have its perfect work. 
that we may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Lord, we want to be and confidently represent ourselves to the, wor- to the world, Lord, as bondservants, Lord. Maybe not by the title bondservant, but by just the life of a bondservant. Those who have surrendered their lives, their rights, their freedom to you, Lord, who's the only one, Lord, who is qualified to direct us in our life in such a way that we will be blessed and used. Father, I just pray for deep conviction for anyone in this room, any man or woman or child who has not surrendered their life to you. Oh, Father, that the same thing that happened to James, just an encounter with Jesus, just Jesus speaking to their heart, Your past is paid for. I don't want to even discuss it. I want to discuss your future in eternity with me. Lord, lead them, lead them into a relationship with Jesus this morning. I pray this in his name. Amen.